Welcome to the podcast for Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast for the latest updates and new episodes. You can also search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcast, and tune in. Make sure to join us each Sunday at 9 on Facebook Live. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. in English and 11.45 in Spanish. Also, Celebrate Recovery meets each Monday night at 6.30. Bible says, Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. So I got a few questions before we dive into the word this morning. How is your hunger for God's holiness today? How's our hunger as a church? Are we distracted and disunified in these days? Or are we being a light and sharing his hope by the way we love one another? Are we worried or are we worshiping the one who is worthy? Are we mature? Or are we remaining as infants in our faith? So here we go. Part two of our series that began last week in the book of James. We're going to be here for a while. We're going on a journey. And if you missed last week's introduction to the book, to this series, to James, the man, I encourage you to go back and watch Pastor Adrian's message from last week, sometime later this week or today. But today we jump into part two, James and the trials of life. James and the trials of life. This passage that we're going to get into, and, and it's the beginning of James, right? We've got to start at the beginning on a journey. That's where you start, at the beginning. And so this passage is really an introduction. Fitting, right? It's at the beginning of the book. But really, it serves as sort of a thesis to the entire book, to the entire teachings that James will, will give to us throughout this series. And we're going to revisit these topics that we're going to see today of, of trials and testing and perseverance and maturity throughout we will see these ideas again on this journey. And so I invite you now to turn to James chapter 1. There's an event set up there in the U version with some notes. But um, if you've got your copy of God's word, turn to James chapter 1. It's right after Hebrews, right before 1 Peter. And we're going to practice a new rhythm as a church family during this series. And so as you turn there, I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's word. I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of of God's word this morning, James chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 1. James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. I want to pause just for a second. The 12 tribes scattered among the nations, that's, that's a little odd in our common day, right? But this verbiage of 12 tribes comes from the Old Testament, from the people that God had chosen. And they continued this language as, as the church of Jesus was, was, was exploding across the world. And so essentially James is saying this letter is to the 12 tribes. This is to the people who follow God scattered amongst the nations. I'm writing this word of exhortation to you. Greetings. And then he begins in verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. 
This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. That's where we're going to camp out today. Verses 2, 3, and 4. We're going to stay there for our, our, for our time this morning. And as we unpack this text from God's word here in James, I want us to contemplate the why of these three verses and the how of these three verses. The why and the how. So let's begin back to verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. First, let's address the why. The why. Because it makes no human sense. And I think we could all agree, it makes no human sense that we should consider it pure joy when we face any trial, right? Humanly speaking, no trial sounds joyful. So we must consider the why. James, James, in his original context, he knows that his readers, he knows that those to whom he writes are experiencing tough times. Things are heating up around them especially as they begin to stand for the name of Jesus, they're beginning to face some trials, including, as the letter will show, poverty and persecution and the like. And so James begins this exhortation. He begins it by encouraging them to recognize that God has a purpose in their trials. Not the trials that they're going through currently, not just those trials, but also the trials that are sure to come. And so there must be a purpose. There must be a why to the command to the original readers and to us as the church today. There must be a why that we should consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds. But you see this opening sentence in verse 2. It's not the same as saying, listen, brother and sisters, facing trials is joyful. That's not what he's saying. Facing trials should stir up giddy happiness in you. No, that would be insanity. That's not, what, that's not what James is saying. Instead, he's saying, consider, think about carefully, contemplate. Consider your trials joyful because of what they are going to produce in you. James refers to an extended state of well-being rather than immediate feeling of happiness or pleasure. This extended state of being rather than an emotional response. Because you see, happiness is flimsy. Happiness is flimsy, but joy, true joy, is firm. Happiness is flimsy. Joy is firm. And so this word joy, consider it joy that James says, it really refers to a deep, deep sense of satisfaction and trust. We may not laugh our way, and downright probably be crazy to, laugh our way through our trials But we can know while in that trial that we can be content, safe in the arms of a loving God. And that is the joy that James is asking them to consider. The plural Greek verb used here in this this introduction indicates that James is actually speaking to the entire church rather than individual believers. Yes, James is speaking to the individual believers who make up the church, just as the word speaks to us today. But the Greek verb is is alluding that James is actually addressing the church as a whole. He encourages a community of believers that are undergoing trials, many because they're standing firm in their faith in Jesus, not just the individuals who are experiencing personal difficulties, although the word speaks to that as well. And listen, 
Listen, this morning, I'm not a doom or gloom, and I am not a pessimistic type of person. I struggle with pessimism when people display it. And so I'm, I'm not judging you if you're a pessimistic person. The Lord wires you that way, I guess. I don't know. But I'm not a pessimistic person, but you need to wake up if you can't see that the church, not just in your personal life, but the church isn't being tried in these days. The heat in our culture with the church is being turned up. And it's going to continue to get turned up as we stand for what God stands for. And you see, there's this Old Testament correlation to the people of God because just as we are called to be the church in these days, just as we are called to be a light in the darkness in these days, the Old Testament people of God, he called a people to himself and he said, I'm going to make you a light to the nations. All people will know God. They will know Yahweh because of you. But yet his people... They would allow their hearts to get a little hard. They would turn their gaze inward. They would become self-focused and self-indulgent, and and trials would come. God would allow trials, some by his own choosing, and some as the result of their choosing. But he would allow trials to refocus them and to refine them on what mattered so that their mission to be a light to the nations would be accomplished. He desires us to be a light in the times we're living today. James says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. And so there are many kinds of trials, as you can attest. There's persecution, there's temptation, illness, grief, trouble with relationships, financial heartache. I I could list uh, on and on and on. And certainly the last 18 months, none none of us would be shy to say the last 18 months have brought trials of some sort into each one of our lives. We just got to look around us, and for some of us, it's closer than what we would like. There's disease and divorce and depression and disaster and death, physical, spiritual, relational. And they're brought into our lives for many different reasons, by many different causes. The first is because of sin in our lives. When we belong to Jesus, listen, this is written to the church. This is written to people who are saying, I want to follow the way of Jesus. And so when we belong to Jesus, if there is anything in us, if there is any sin that remains in us, any any self-centeredness, God says, "I, I want to get that out of you. I want you to purely reflect me. And so sometimes trials are brought into our lives to refine us because there's sin In our lives. Sometimes we face trials because of evil in our world. That is the sin of others. We often face trials because of the evil in our world. Another reason that trials are brought into our life is because we live in the brokenness of a Genesis 3 world. You say, what does that mean? It means that in Genesis 3, in Genesis 3, when man and woman that God created decided that they wanted self-sovereignty, decided that they wanted to play the role of God in their life, they wanted the knowledge of good and evil. When they chose to break the known law of God, they broke their relationship with God. Not only our relationship as humans and with God was broken, all of creation was broken. There was no disease. There was no disaster. There were no thorns until 
everything broke. And so we live in between the time of Jesus coming and him coming again. And and he's going to make everything new. All of creation will be made new. But right now we live in that in-between time. That now and not yet of a broken world. So trials often come into our lives because of a broken world. And lastly, because of our human nature. Listen, no matter, no matter who you are or how long you've been in church, there is something still that wages war against the spirit of God in you. It's, it's, it's your flesh. It's your human nature. And, and we have to stand firm on God's word because, because if not, we will live by our feelings rather than by our faith. We will be persuaded by our feelings rather than grounded in our faith in Jesus. And oftentimes that brings trials into our life. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Our faith needs strengthened. Verse 3, James continues, Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Why can we consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds? Because we know that it produces something in us that God desires. The testing of your faith produces perseverance. It produces steadfastness, consistency, endurance, unwaveringness. The testing of your faith produces something. And that's why you can consider it pure joy. This perseverance that is produced, it's it's a growing determination in the face of adversity that is based on hope. It's based on hope, not hope in our feelings, not hope in our circumstances, not hope in your news feed or your Twitter feed or your Instagram feed. It is based on our hope in Jesus. Somebody should say amen this morning. Listen, whenever whenever your faith is tested, and it will be tested... It's not a waste of time or an empty pursuit. Listen, this is a tender message this morning. Because I sat here and see some of your faces, and I know some of your stories. And I know you've lived this. Some of you are living it now. When your faith is tested, it reveals what or who your faith is really in. When your faith is tested, James says that produces perseverance. And that means with each test of our faith, with each test, you come out stronger and more ready on the other side. And so if you're willing to endure trials, if you're willing to endure, if you don't bail out every time you face something hard, with the help of God... You'll be rewarded with stronger perseverance for the next one ahead. And so often, maybe we as a church, or or maybe you do this in your individual lives, you pray for opportunity and opposition arises. It's because they often come together. Favor often comes with fire so that our faith will not be fickle. Favor, the favor of God often comes with fire. Or maybe it's said this way. You might experience fire in your life before you see the favor of God on your life. 
But don't be alarmed, James says. He says, brother and sisters, what's happening to you, what's going to happen, what you may experience, don't be alarmed. But listen, in that human nature, oftentimes our first reaction, if, if we're honest, it's not to consider it pure joy, is it? It's not consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds. We often immediately curse the darkness or we, or we begin pleading, God, get me out of this darkness that is surrounding me. And God said, but you wanted an opportunity. Sometimes, sometimes in our lives, the thing right in front of us, the thing right in front of us that we're praying would go away, it is, it, it is, is bringing the strength and the maturity for the season that we are in. Sometimes that thing right in front of us that we're asking God to remove. He's saying, listen, I, I, I don't want to remove it because it's bringing the strength and the maturity for the season that you're in. I know you don't see it from my perspective, but trust me. Consider it pure joy, James exhorts the people. And so often we will we'll ask and then we'll answer the door and we'll think that it's trouble, but really... It is the training of God to teach us to trust him alone, to trust in him alone. Friends, our faith isn't tried because our Lord wants to see us suffer. Our faith is tried because we have important work to do in his kingdom. And we aren't likely to be ready apart from the testing of trials. To truly reflect his glory to the world that so desperately needs it. Apart from his refining work in our lives. To do what Jesus has called us to do. We must become strong in our faith. To face the challenges of now and the challenges to come. Both personal and as a church. I'm speaking to all of us today. And his word tells us that his grace is sufficient in our weakness. But, but, but perhaps, perhaps you've heard yourself say something like this or, or think something like this. I've been there. But God, I could never deal with that. But Lord, I'm not strong enough to go through that. If I was in that situation, I, I, just not, I don't think I could do that. I'm not strong enough in my faith to endure something like they endured. There was a woman by the name of Corey Tin Boom. I can't tell her whole story today. Maybe you've heard of her. If not, I encourage you to do some research. She wrote a book called The Hiding Place. She was a Dutch citizen during World War II, during the Holocaust. She was a Christian woman. Her family was Christian family. And, and when the Holocaust began and, and, and they began to, to persecute and martyr and, and kill the Jews, her family became a, a, a safe haven. Her home became a, a, a safe haven for Jews that were trying to escape the Nazi persecution. And so they would welcome Jews into their home and they would, they would hide them. They would hide them in, in a hole in the wall behind a bookcase. I, I, I've literally been there. It is a cramped, I'm, smaller than probably most of your closets at home, and they would hide half a dozen or more in there at a time to keep them safe. She lived in Holland. And as the persecution arose, uh, uh, her and her family would eventually all be arrested and taken to the concentration camps themselves. But as a young child, 
she would tell this story. She said, when I was a little girl, I, I, I went to my father and I said, Daddy, I'm afraid that I'll never be strong enough to be a martyr for Jesus Christ. Tell me, said father, when you take a train trip to Amsterdam, when do I give you the money for the ticket? Three weeks before? No, daddy. You give me the money for the ticket just before we get on the train. That is right, my father said. And so it is with God's strength. But I could... So it is with God's strength. The Bible says his grace is sufficient in our weakness. The Bible says that we can know that he works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. In it all, through it all. Even when we don't see it, he's working. Even when we don't feel it, he's working. Okay, pastor, we understand why. We understand what you're saying because considering it, we can consider it pure joy. Why? Because it's producing something. It's, it's producing perseverance. But how do, we, how do we get to this place where we live into that? Because grit in our teeth, listen, this ain't a message about grit your teeth, uh, buck up, brother and sister. How do we get to that place? Verse 4, James continues, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature. So that you may be mature, brought to an end, to a, 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 a per, per, perfected place and complete. So that you may be mature and complete if you let how? If you let perseverance that is produced by the testing of your faith, you have to let it finish its work. And then you'll be complete, not lacking, not falling short in anything. How? You let perseverance finish. The message translation says, don't try to get out of anything prematurely. But God, I, I, I can't stand this. Listen, I know, I know you can't stand this. But it's for your good and my glory in your life. The apostle Peter, he knew a thing or two about what Jesus said. He would have known James. In 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 6, he's writing to a group of believers, to, to a church. And he says this, in all this, He's just, he's just finished this discourse. He says, as he introduces this letter, he says, In all of this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though it's been refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So that the proven genuineness of your faith may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus is revealed. And so, so, so Peter touches on this idea of refining. And so I looked up the word refiner in the dictionary. Refiner is a noun. It is a person, a device, or substance that removes impurities, sediment, or other unwanted matter from something, refiner. How's your desire for holiness, for the holiness of God to be displayed in your life? 
Because you see, because you, what you see is, is that God loves us. And this is what James is saying. He's saying, let perseverance finish its work so that you can be mature. You can be whole and complete. Because God loves us too much to leave us as we are. Because uh, our impure selves, our self-focused selves, our immature selves cannot clearly reflect all of who he is. And only as we see the growing brilliance of our reflection of him in our lives will we experience the deepest, that deepest joy that he desires for his children. That he desires for his children. Listen, if you're parents, you, you have a little idea of, of what I'm about to talk about. And I didn't even say this in first service. But my children are, I have three children and they're all five and under. And so we're in a season of training. It's, I, some of you are like, you wait till the teenage year. But we're in a season of training, and, the, and there's discipline, and, and they're tried, and, and, and they have to learn hard lessons sometimes. Why? Because I want to see them suffer and cry? Because I want to see them not experience good things? Happy things? Joyful things? No, because as their father, I have their deepest joy in mind. They don't see from my perspective and we don't see from our Heavenly Father's perspective. He has the deepest joy of His children in mind. But the refining process is hot. It's hot. To refine gold, you've got to heat that You've got to heat that heat up higher than you can imagine to, to get the impurities to come to the surface so they can be removed, so that, that gold can be all pure. So it is with our lives. First Peter chapter 4, Peter would continue uh, talking about living lives for God, and he said this in, in 1 Peter 4 and verse 1, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin, and as a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. He who suffers in the body is done with sin. When there's sin and self-centeredness, there may, there may come suffering in our lives because God wants to refine us to truly reflect Him. There's been times in my life, times in my life where, where, where I, I thought I was doing pretty good. But I was praying prayers like this. God, you search me. See if there's anything that offends you in my life and lead me in your way everlasting. Because that's what I'm supposed to pray. That's what David prayed in the Psalms. But there's things. There's, there's things often under the surface in our life. And then trials come, and then the fire gets turned up, and, and we feel like, we feel like we're, being, we're, we're being burned a little bit, and we cry out. And maybe this is just me. I cry out, God, save me. Get me out of this hell that I'm going through. And it's not until I'm, I'm humble enough to quiet my heart that I hear God's whisper, and he says, listen, Billy. Listen, son. My child, I love you so much. I love you so much that I'm going to answer your prayer. That I'm going to allow this in your life so that there's no more hell left in you. I want to refine you so that you can reflect me. So that you can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. 
Or maybe it goes something like this. God, God, let your will be done. And then we get up from our knees and we fight for what we want to be done instead. And all the while we say, but this is what God wants. When we've really never surrendered in the first place. Listen, sometimes, sometimes his greater joy will cost us something. But what it cost us is but a trifle to what we gain in the end. That we might be mature and complete. Mature and complete. So those who are suffering, James says, he's saying, listen, those who are suffering, those to whom I'm writing, you should have joy and you can have joy because your trials are serving as a pathway to your maturity to prove that your faith in Christ Jesus is genuine. And you know what? James knew because he walked side by side with Jesus. He knew that complete and mature children of God live a life of integrity and single-minded devotion to God. Their lives are characterized by his godliness. Are we as a church? Are you? Augustine said that trials come to prove us and improve us. They come to prove us and improve us. And so I think the bottom line we can take away from James today is this, perhaps. That we are tried to prove our faith true. And we're refined to truly reflect him. Listen. Listen, friends and family, there is no rationale to explain how God works in us and through us in every trial that comes our way. There are some things that you've experienced. There are some trials that may come into your life. Young and old. That we will not be able to understand until we reach our eternal home and we see it from our father's perspective. And listen, grieving and lamenting are welcomed by God. James isn't telling the people he's speaking to, hey, you're going through hard things, suck it up. Consider it joy. Put a smile on your face. That's not what he's saying to the people. He's saying God's doing something. He's going to produce something in you so you can consider it joy because he's doing something for your good and his glory. But all the while, the word of God shows us that grieving and lamenting are welcome. It's okay to grieve through the trials because it, it hurts. Sometimes it makes no sense. It seems unfair and it feels unbearable. But I ask you to let it drive you deeper into the arms of the one who suffered for you, who suffered for you. I do know one thing, that his character is trustworthy and his promises are true. Your pain is real, but listen, no one will ever love you like Jesus. No one will ever love you like Jesus before your trial, in the midst of it, or afterwards. And it's clear from James, it's clear that James heard the words of Jesus, who it's believed to be his half-brother, right? Because Jesus, Jesus' real father was in heaven. Throughout this series, we're going to continue to make connections between, between what we're learning in James and what Jesus taught. 
And Jesus spoke these words that are here on the screen to his disciples shortly before he would suffer the cross. He said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And Paul, Paul, the apostle Paul would later encourage the believers in Corinth this way. He would say, listen, listen, do not, do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You see, trials wean us from our dependence on those temporal things. They adjust our perspective. So how do we get to this place? We let perseverance finish its work. And those who are in Christ hold on to the hope of heaven. We hold on to the blessed hope of heaven, spending forever in the realized presence of Jesus. And that hope grows day by day as we let this perseverance, this perseverance finish its work. Yes, collectively as the body of Christ. And individually in our lives. So what is this hope of heaven? John penned it in Revelation. He penned it in Revelation 21. He said, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven. And the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. If this doesn't get you excited, you need more coffee this morning. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look. God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. In verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done, for I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. And those who are victorious, those who are mature, who persevere and are complete and lacking in nothing, those who are victorious will inherit all of this. And I will be their God And they will be my children. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this. Corrie ten Boom, she came out on the other side of the Holocaust as the only survivor from her family. And she testified to her experience. She testified to how God worked through those trials. I encourage you to read her story. Read her book, The Hiding Place. It will work deeply on you. And this is a quote from one of her speaking engagement. She quoted, she quoted Job and said, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. For I know that to all who overcome, he shall give the crown of life. Hallelujah. And so, friends, what you're going to see is that the exhortations in the book of James in its entirety, this faith in action book, is not even possible until we've been made a new creation. In Christ Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you, haven't, if you haven't experienced that, I invite you to cry out to God today. To ask him to do that work in you. 
Because when we read James and we're told to consider it pure joy, when we face trials of many kinds, that can only be the response of a surrendered lover of Jesus. We're tried to prove our faith true. And we're refined to truly reflect him. I invite you to stand as we prepare to respond this morning to God's word. To his word this morning. He, yes, yes, Jesus, he is the refiner in our lives and in the life of his church. Will we, will you let him continue his work in you? Even more, will you invite him to purify you, to refine you through and through so that you will be mature and complete, lacking in nothing? I invite you this morning to respond to a deeper place of surrender to a deeper faith. You can worship and make this song your prayer today, or you can kneel at the altar or wherever, wherever you're standing. But kneeling is, is, is a posture of humility. It, can, it is often a posture of surrender to the one before whom we kneel. I invite you to respond to his word today. Let perseverance finish its work in your life because he is faithful. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at cotnaz.org for any questions about our church. When you're done listening, please subscribe to this channel for the latest updates and new episodes.